Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, a Song of Ice and Fire, episode 109, Davos in a Song... Davos in a Storm of Swords 2. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You'd think after like 150 to 170 episodes of a podcast, that would be a muscle reflex. Like saying the intro, saying I'm so-and-so, this is my name, this is what we're talking about. You'd think that'd be a thing, but it turns out, folks, it's not. No, uh, recently Chloe forgot to tell us who she was as we were closing out an episode, so everyone was left in the dark. (laughs) Maybe no one is left as in the dark as I am, because what if I never know who I am? But I am Chloe, as I said, and I- who am I recording with? uh, One of your hosts, Eliana. (laughs) We are here, and I am actually, I am enjoying this Davosness. Devosness. This devosity. Devosity. The devosity. I am really enjoying sinking below the sea with our friend Davos and coming, wow. emerging from the sea. Coming from the sea. That's a little lewd. A little early for that. But I am. And I'm excited to talk about it today. We have lots of things to discourse. Lots of spicy takes at each other. A little arguing. Maybe some debating. But some making up at the end. And that's what everyone should stay for. First, we have a rattle roll call of things to talk about. Some housekeeping notes, if you will. Yes. So, you know, this is a big month for us here at Girls Gone Canon this November 2020. We've got a couple of things coming up, specifically also this week on our Patreon. Of course, as many of you know, we do have a Discord now for patrons $10 and up. Thunder tier and above, if you will, depending on if you think of this in terms of monetary, like increments or horses and we have we prefer a- horses <laughs> we do i'm gonna be honest with you we have a discord brunch of course coming up and this month in honor of thanksgiving and bringing people together we are doing a powerpoint potluck and <laughs> discord members are submitting slides three to four slides on the topic of their choice and they will present to the group and I, I, I enjoy these. These are fun. I do have sneak peeks on these topics. And, you know, by the time you're listening to this episode, if you're not a patron, I'm sorry, we're teasing something that you can't probably time travel to tomorrow. But uh, this this is really fun. I've seen some good stuff. We have Hippocrats that Roose Bolton mm. drinks. We have someone, our patron Maddie is phenomenal, bringing us, she's bringing us this awesome awesome handful of slides about it and our friend warren is talking about some celtic mythology and i'm just so excited about it it's gonna be a blast every month we do a brunch and happy hour we call it brunch and happy hour because no matter where you are in this world in this planet in this time zone you can hang out and either have a drink have a snack sit around and bullshit with us so we do that and (laughs) it has been a blast once a month Come hang out with us. We also talk all the time in the different channels on our server about everything. Food especially. Lots of food. Mm -hmm. We keep talking about food. Uh, One of our patrons, Courtney, she has an array of roots. She is the root queen. She has root Khaleesi, if you will. She has everything. Everything. She's always posting produce. Just really good produce. So come over. Hang out. In addition to our Discord, we do have... Our weekly His Dark Material episode coverage. 
If you haven't been watching it, His Dark Materials, great series by Philip Pullman, trilogy, and there's also a companion trilogy that A sandwich trilogy. A sandwich trilogy, if you will, and some outer works. Really fun. Lots of new fantasy if you have not read it. If you have, hang out with us. Come watch it. We've covered up through the end of The Subtle Knife. It is the Northern Lights, Subtle Knife, and the Amber Spyglass are the three main books. And we are on Series 2 with BBC HBO. We're covering that weekly. Comes out on Mondays. Kind of a, a, a compromise for our United States friends and our United Kingdom's friends. A treatise, if you will, of us releasing the episodes between worlds. Indeed. And as Chloe was saying, we do have, of course, a companion trilogy that goes along with His Dark Materials, also by Philip Pullman, that covers some other material from this world. One's a prequel, the other's a sequel to the His Dark Materials series. And we are covering La Belle Sauvage, which is a prequel to the His Dark Materials series uh, each month. Uh, So next week, as it is the last week of the month, you will be getting a La Belle Sauvage episode. But for those of you who want more Song of Ice and Fire, we also uh, still have our Patreon episode. Finally, finally, finally finishing up Fire and Blood with the Lysine Spring. Now you say finishing, but we did leave out some parts of Fire and Blood in our coverage. We only covered That's the true. Dance of the Dragons that is rather true. thoroughly, rather completely thoroughly. We have done a lot of covering of the Dance of the Dragons. In fact, those dragons are so exhausted and so are we. We are finishing it up with the Lysine Spring, but we could return. We could return. There's some Jaharis and Alisan, a.k.a. my cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some other stuff. There's Magor Targaryen, if you care about him. Some do. And... There may even be some Aegon Visenya Rady stuff we could bring up and everything in between. So stay tuned. You never know what you can hear over at the Girls Gone Canon Patreon, where $5 and up patrons in the Stranger Tier, again, horse, monetary value, Stranger Tier and above, get access to special episodes. And next month, of course, will be a His Dark Materials episode. We alternate those every month. But, you know, you mentioned... A topic that Maddie is going to present upon, but here's something else. You know, we have emails and tweets of note this week, and one of them does come from Maddie. It does. Maddie is excellent, excellent to contribute to the discourse in our Discord all the all the time. The Discord discourse. And Maddie sent us actually a really eloquent email, and I'm going to summarize it and speak some of the beautiful quotes from it as best I can. Maddie wrote us and said they enjoyed Davos 1 in A Storm of Swords because they forgot how much they enjoyed it, right? Mm -hmm. She said his storm plot can be a little forgettable. She enjoys dance Davos. And a lot is happening in A Storm of Swords, which I can agree with. You have Jamie, Kat, and of course, Maddie's favorite POV, Sansa. Maddie assumed Davos died in the Blackwater, just like Theon in Winterfell. That's the assumption, right, if you don't know. And that George was setting this up purposefully as reflections of the other. She thought Theon would die from petty jealousy and disloyalty, turncloak drowning in his myriads of sins, sowing his own demise from greed for power and desire to be a Stark, as we know, while Davos would die from being too loyal and subservient to Stannis, not being jealous enough for Stannis' ridiculous slights to him, letting a Florent fail son 
Florence don't deserve to have specific names. Sidebar, she says, I agree. Command the Navy instead of loyal Sir Davos. Renly's B-tier losers flock to Stannis' side and keep their lands and titles while Davos saved Stannis' life and was punished for it? If Davos was more measured and less loyal, he and his sons could have snuck back with all his men on the Lysine ships, who, as Maddie has said before, are truly Davos's men and not Stannis's, agreed, and mm-hmm. survived the battle. But Davos makes it out, and he then reckons with survivor's guilt. This chapter opens with him trying to survive, and this chapter, of course, being Davos 1, lapping rainwater, bashing crabs, and he doesn't think about the mother, right? He thinks about the gods of the waters, and everything goes down to one kind of solid feeling. Storm, life, death, sea. That's all he remembers when it's all stripped away. Only when the holes appear on the horizon does he revert to the life he once knew. Yes. Maddie goes on to say that I view his finger bones similar to the iron given to Prince Andrei Volkonsky before he leaves for war by his sister Maria, sometimes spelled Maria, for what it's worth. The icon worn around the neck is a good luck charm of Russian Orthodox believers, but the skeptical and worldly Andrei wears the icon, and not for the protection of God and the saints, but for the comfort and protection of his sister and his family. The finger bones are the opposite. They are Davos's good luck charm, but they are an icon in a false god. They replace the protection of Maria and his family with the protection of the false god Stannis, whose failures magnify day by day. When the false god's icon has been stripped away from him and he now recognizes that he could get off this island, thus allowing him to abandon the gods of nature, he reverts to the faith of his forefathers. The wisdom of the Septons had told him while handing out crusts of bread to the children of Fleabottom. Then Maddie goes on to say that it's important that Davos is treating the truths he believes as from the Seven instead of his own interiority. He knows that burning the Seven was wrong, and he knows that Courtney's fate is wrong, and it's because that's what he was taught when he was young, and to this day, many people feel this way about their own gods when misfortune befalls them. Oh, that's a great point. And Maddie finishes off this email. Again, eloquently and elegantly by saying, the Seven is powerful for Davos, it's a force for good, but its conservatism creates blind spots, leading Davos to the wrong answer. The mother doesn't tell him, go the fuck home, doesn't tell him, destroy the false god or Stannis. It tells him, blame the foreign woman, who we learn is just telling Stannis what he wants at this point, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. you see this with Cersei. Maddie says the real problem with Cersei, it's that her wealth makes her treat others like worthless pawns, less than people, but the sparrows go after her because of sexual impropriety and femininity. Yes. Maddie finishes the email with some very, very kind things. Too sweet, too sweet. Also hoping that her bets are right on our next POV. Uh, and also says more people need to talk about Maria and how dad should come home. And I agree. Dad, come home. I agree. Uh, Our last dad did not come home. In fact, when he didn't come home, he died. So. Yeah. And we see a lot of that choice to go home, to literally go big or go home, I think, in a way, this chapter. And we're going to talk about the choices that Davos makes here. And, you know, it's been interesting reliving it. As Maddie said, you know, Davos feels a little overshined, except for like those key 
plot moments with Edric in mm-hmm. A Storm of Swords and, and him convincing Stannis, but as to how he actually feels, his journey as a character and his motivations and his relationships, that's something that we're I'm excited that we're really getting to dig into here. Yeah, and Edric Storm being the introduced in this chapter, right? Like mm, we get true. Edric Shireen patch face again. Uh that's really nice. It's it's kind of bright and airy right before something bad goes down, as we'll get to. Uh, but Edric and Shireen's entrance is really important here because it reinforces that for the children mentality for Davos that we're going to explore. That Davos is projecting that pain of his children and instead trying to save some other kids because of it. And, you know, here in the story with Edric, it, it reminds me of Bran and Rickon and Catelyn's pain, right, where she is in clash and where she is in the beginning of storm with the fact that she's lost her kids that all of her children are dead or married off or gonna die uh very similar feeling right now it's a bummer right down to the projecting because catalan has some good projecting as well yes and a lot of those same instances right of of communicating with her faith and looking for that as to how did this happen and I will yeah. talk on some of the comparisons between Davos and Catelyn, but also, I mean, you have quite a bit of things, like comparisons with Davos and the Lannister, not Cersei, but the other one throughout this chapter, so. Which one? Could be any of them. That's true. It could be, it could be Jenna. <laughs> Davos and Jenna. Well... <laughs> we'll jump over to that soon, but first, as Davos returns to Dragonstone, which is commanded by a Storm Lord or a Storm King, he is going to face the lightning. So here's our Davos lightning round for the episode. Sansa won. Sansa sups with the new Queen Bee to Bee and is fed a morsel of hope. John won. John learns the tale of Mance the Bard shedding his black cloak to join the exiled Free Folk King. Daenerys won. Daenerys' dragons sail overhead as they all make for Pentos. Jorah and Arstan test their boundaries. Bran won. Bran learns to see through Summer's eyes at will. Jojen warns him to practice in moderation. Which throws us into the dungeons at the end of Davos 2. Davos learns Devon still lives, but that much else has been lost and changed from the battle. He plans to kill Melisandre himself, but is deterred by Shireen and Edric, who meet him on the beach after returning from Salador. By chapter's end, he lands himself into a brand new hell, the Dungeons of Dragonstone. A fresh new hell. Uh, another one every book davos in the dungeons go <laughs> that's kind of true can't wait till Wow and skagos oh my god that's true before he gets into the dungeons though he's sailing past driftmark which becomes smaller in the rear view as davos is approaching dragonstone while on his good friend salador's ship a wisp of smoke comes from the island and davos thinks that dragonmont must be restless, or Melisandre might be burning someone. She'd been on his thoughts all morning in Shyala's dance, navigating against the winds through the gullet, and he also sees a fire atop Sharp Point Watchtower, which is in Massey's Hook, and that looks quite like Melisandre's ruby, and the dawn and the sunset was her same shade of red 
as well. Davos should be an artist. <laughs> He's very, very uh, observant, right? And he thinks that she would be waiting on Dragonstone for his arrival with his king, Stannis. Oh, Davos, honey, <laughs> sweetie, honey. Like, it's very sad when you think that, because it's like, he, he thinks, he fucking thinks that Stannis is waiting for him, but it turns out everyone thinks he's dead, because it turns out everyone's dead, honey. Except for Melisandre, it turns out she's kind of waiting, and that's why I'm like, I don't understand why Florent was so surprised. He's like, oh, you're alive? Well, you're arrested. Yeah. Like, how would you know he was going to do that if you thought he was dead? Anyway. It seemed disbelieving, right? Like That's true. Maybe Melisandre did see it in her fires. Maybe she's like, ah, yes, the charred onion will be rolling its way back any day now, sir. <laughs> charred onions are delicious. Oh, it sounds great, a roasted one. Anyways, mm. Davos thinks she'd always been loyal to Stannis until now, but now she'd broken him like a horse. Okay. He thinks she would ride him to power if she could, and for that, she gave my sons to the fire. I'll cut the living heart from her breast and see how it burns. Whoa, Davos, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. So this is a reread. All right, so we have all read Melisandre's chapter in A Dance with Dragons, and we know that Melisandre does not, in fact, feel this way about Stannis. Melisandre doesn't see Stannis as a path to power, but is truly devout, right? Believes in her religion and that Stannis is a Zora High. We talked a little bit before about how we get shades of that broken man theme in Davos' story in the previous chapter, and we also see that phrase arise just now when he thinks about how Mel has broken Stannis. Stannis is not a broken man yet, but I do think we're going to get there. Uh, and it is interesting because we haven't even seen Stannis yet, like, since the Blackwater, but... I mean, he kind of sounds like he's might be a broken man based on the accounts, the rumors that we're hearing. But it's not it's not that he's broken by Melisandre, the way that Davos is thinking here. And again, there's a lot of that projection uh, of that guilt that I think he internalized last chapter as we discussed. And he's taking that and putting that on Melisandre now. He's, he's at that stage. I do want to question all of this language right on Davos's part because when you really really think about it and the dynamics that are at play here who's the one who's actually riding Stannis to power is it Melisandre or is it the man who has gone from a smuggler to rise to a knight to a lord then to a hand yeah it does feel at this time that Davos will and I'm not going to call it getting lucky. It doesn't feel lucky. He's been burdened. Oh, yeah. God, burdened. The this hand wipes the glorious- shit. Yeah, he is wiping shit. And he's going to keep wiping shit. And even after Stannis is gone, Davos will continue to wipe shit to help better people's lives, which is what he does want, right? But uh, it- it's interesting to me. Like, I think he's going to get lucky somehow, when Stannis is gone, and he'll still retain his lordship, obviously, and be able to do some good in the goddamn realm. But uh, I think he'll get his his gambler's luck, right? His gambler's mm. luck will not run out on that one. But it is an interesting look. Like you're the one that's still going, yeah. buddy, with the dead kids. Uh, anyways, Davos has a lysine dirk. He was given it by Captain Corain Sathmantes, who picked him up. Corrine has the lysine, pale blue eyes, which are set in a weather-worn face. But he's no stranger to Westeros. When he realizes who Davos is, he is very, very gracious 
He insists on sharing his clothes and his cabin and his rich food, which are lampreys and, of course, snails, regional, with Davos. But the food doesn't really agree with Davos. So the line, which I love, is he spent the day with one end or the other dangling over the rail. And that's another another thing similar to that Danny chapter in Dance of Dragons. He shits. The the more she drank, the more she shot. But yep. yeah, um, you know, speaking of rising in station, we're seeing some of that payoff here, I guess, for Davos with Corrine, despite mm-hmm. all the things that Davos thinks he is. But also uh, regarding that pooping, I want to come back again to that pooping after having said that. Maybe I just, like, don't know how ships look in terms of bathrooms, but I feel like dangling over the rail to take a dump is, like, I don't know, the riskiest way to poop. Like You've got to have some force behind it is how I feel. Yeah, and like, it's going to dribble. Strong, yeah, I got strong legs, you know? And he God. doesn't right now. Not right now. Usually, like Davos, Daddy Davos does. Usually, he's does not he tie himself somewhere, or like how did how does he do it? God, I mean, like chamber pots are one thing, but my lord, a rail? Who's holding your hands? Okay, yeah, I digress. I get uh, why he's doing. I get why. He's I mean, doing I get it. Not on the ship. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, no. I get it. I totally get it. Like, and he's just like, I gotta puke. I gotta shit. I, I, I've, we've all been there at least once. That's true. I have felt the sensation for both. Yes, I've been there at this moment. I I can only tell you one, two times, two times total in my life where I can tell you off the top of my head it happened. But holy, it's horrible. So let's leave Davos alone. But something interesting, I know you're connecting Danny with this in that joking way for that Danny chapter. Like, aha, they did chat, but also not joking in a way. Uh, And I do think it's for a reason like not that george was like i'm gonna parallel shit right now but i think that george maybe uh, i think he could have at least thought of it because there are some similar themes we are mm-hmm. near dragonmont at this point it's looming closer and the gargoyles and the dragon towers are sprouting as we get near and davos is leaning his weight against this ship which is shayala's dance He's not in the best health, right? He has kind of a bloody phlegm coming up when he coughs and he's shaking if he stands too long. But he thinks, surely the gods did not bring me safe through fire and sea only to kill me with a flux. Mm. Remind you of anyone's arc in A Song of Ice and Fire? It reminds me of Daenerys a little bit. It does. It does. It is something that I thought about. You know, like, she's been through a lot, including fire and sea and... So it's interesting to see, I mean, yeah, will she think that or whatever, you know? And that's kind of how Tyrion frames her too, right? When he's describing her I mean, she's her dealt with the flux now. Aegon, yeah, exactly. In multiple ways, as having to deal with it as a public health issue and mm-hmm. pooping herself. Yeah. All the pooping. She's been out there. She's been shitting in that grass, you know what she I mean? She has... So Davos listens to the pounding of the drums and the oars, and he begins to think back to his younger years, back when Ares sat the throne. Uh, These were the sounds that old Sir Tristram and Sea-Watch used to make. It was death to smugglers. But that was a lifetime ago, and now he's an onion knight raised high by Stannis. Yeah, so we're digging again into those, like, born again vibes as in referring to like that born again christianity vibes i think with some of that language there but 
Something else in the language that I want to call out is the way that Dragonstone and Dragonmont are described at the beginning of this chapter, or the this general area, not just Dragonstone, but at the at the start it says Dragonstone is restless this morning, Davos thought, or else Melisandre is burning someone else, and it, you get that immediate tie. In a few lines, we have the great fire that burned atop the Sharp Point watchtower at the end of Massey's Hook reminded him of the ruby she wore at her throat, and when the world turned red at dawn and sunset, the drifting clouds turned the same color as the silks and satin of her rustling gowns. And then here in this moment, as they near, we have the mountain grew taller, crowned all in pale smoke. The sail sang, the drum beat, the oars pulled smoothly, and before very long, the mouth of the harbor opened before them. So you see George strongly employing the device of personification in describing Dragonstone and, and the corollary islands close to it. And in doing so, it really shows us how Davos now is kind of seeing Melisandre in this area, this little kingdom, uh, as one, and how he's perceiving, therefore, her influence on Stannis' kingdom. And he likens that watchtower right to her ruby and all the rest of her clothing. And then as the mountain's growing, he's talking about it as, you know, earlier he was saying that it feels restless. And mountains obviously aren't fucking restless, except for maybe in that one Pixar movie that is Pixar short that's pretty <laughs> adorable. But then it's the mountain grows and it's crowned just like Stannis is crowned. A person gets crowned, right? But it, there's also that in the way that Melisandre now holds a position of power and, as we'll see, is described as actually Stannis's true queen, especially amongst the whispers at the wall in the John chapters. And then, you know, the people begin to disappear, right? As the sails sings, the drums beat, and the oars pull. And it's just interesting language because it's not the people who seem to be conducting this ship or anything or driving it. it it's as though the ship itself is alive. And I think that's more of just, like, beautiful imagery, but the, the mountains and the way that Dragonstone is described, I think really drives home this conflation that Davos is doing. God, the imagery alone this chapter is gorgeous. Yeah. Something that I'm appreciating even more than I ever have before is the imagery of Dragonstone. So I, I'm seeing the ways, and we'll talk about it, the ways Daenerys is going to be seen here when she finally does land, because she has to come home. She has to go to Dragonstone, and I'm sorry, just the, the way Aegon's garden is described, for example, as we'll get to, like, there's got to be some good Danny scenes there, but... I will say that I did like the way, the contrast of the way the show portrayed Dragonstone for Stannis' scenes versus Daenerys' scenes, and that moment yeah. where she first enters Dragonstone, I think, is just a fantastic sequence yeah the thought also that like it, it's so dusty and that it's never used and that it's been so long since he's been there and that it was never home for him anyways the idea that halls could be closed off and places could be unused because he probably wouldn't have used it anyways to me is very interesting too but i yeah. digress the other interesting thing you said is that here yes he thinks ah She's burning people in the mountains once more. Yes. That's immediately what he thinks. And as we're going to get into, it's not her that was burning people in the in the mountains. Uh, but Corrine, Captain Corrine, had told Davos about some of the aftermath. Not that, but some of the aftermath of the battle. Stannis' bannermen abandoned him by the hundreds. King Renly's shade came back? Question mark, question mark. Garland Tyrell in his armor. To haunt him, and he slayed men in the glow of the wildfire. Davos has a thought. 
Renly's shade. Davos wondered if his sons would return as shades as well. He'd seen too many queer things on the sea to say that ghosts did not exist. Yes, you've Hmm. literally seen a shade on the sea, Davos, first of all, like with your eyes. In the shape of your king. Anyways, I digress. Uh, I I find the way he's processing this guilt really interesting. Uh, it, It turns out dead kids are a really big theme in these books. What? Especially this one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and vengeance themes for these dead kids mm-hmm. or for the dead, right, are really big. Like Tyrion 1 that just happened. Tyrion reminds Tywin, hey, you promised Dorn vengeance for Princess Elia and her babes. And then when we move to the north or to the Riverlands with Catelyn, Rickard Karstark's vengeance kind of ends the Stark campaign, right? Uh, he wants to kill children and does for vengeance for his own son, which, of course, all of this increases tensions that help lead to the Red Wedding, which is more dead people. And later on, we hear Davos say that he has a belly for vengeance, and he's kind of projecting this grief and pain, as we've implied, over at Melisandre, who for once actually did not do anything wrong. He cannot bear to blame his gods. That's the big problem. Mm -hmm. Can't bear to blame any of his eight gods. Uh, You know, there's interestingly enough, there's another dad that has kind of suffered some trauma from war. He's lost a lot, in my opinion, especially at this point in the books. He's lost a child. Uh, He feels something probably different than what you'd expect, though, because I'm talking about someone else that dealt with wildfire, even. Jamie Lannister. Yes. Yes. Not the Lannister you thought, but it's the Lannister you're getting. And there's a line... That really comes to life here for me with Davos and his children, because Davos is upset. I'm not saying he's not upset. He's absolutely upset, as we explored in Davos 1 in A Storm of Swords. But here he's kind of all bets are back on with Stannis. And Jamie thinks, He was curiously calm. Men were supposed to go mad with grief when their children died. He knew they were supposed to tear out their hair by the roots, curse the gods, swear red vengeance. Why was it that he felt so little? Yeah. yeah. That's more where Davos is. He doesn't think that way, but that's more similar to a man that just survived wildfire just barely. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been cursing some gods, but not all of them. Cursing himself in, in the light of the gods, as well as kind of swearing literally quite red vengeance this chapter, as we'll talk about in a bit. For now, though, the remaining faithful to Stannis were few. We have, of course, the Florence that were in charge. They're still around, and Lord Florent is now the king's hand. Hooray! Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. Please clap. Near the no, mouth no, no. of Dragonstone. Now much emptier than how they had left the harbor. And Davos sees Saldrasan's Valyrian, the ship, and the Lysine companions, and searches in vain for the ship's Lady Maria or Wraith. And again, going off of what you were saying about his his grief, especially in contrast to Jamie's it's a large driver for Davos in this chapter. Uh, we have it set up, of course, in the previous one. And we see that that grief is defined again as vengeance later. And it's another way 
right? That we are setting the stage for Lady Stoneheart at the end of this book. Yes. And honestly, I think it's quite remarkable how much of actually Davos's early storyline in A Storm of Swords is in fact setting up that emotional foundation for the epilogue. I've never really thought or like noticed that until now. And part of me kind of wonders like if Davos would still desire to kill Melisandre so fiercely had he found out that his sons were still alive. I mean, they're not. But mm. if 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 yeah. he found that like Two of them lived, right? Or I, I know he finds out one did, but more of them did. Would he... Three. Three. Three kids. Right. The The number I'm looking for is, in fact, three. I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to add three these numbers seven. together. I was like, he finds one. It's two more. That What number is that? So if he finds out that three had survived, or, or four, if he finds out that three more of his sons had survived the Blackwater. Not in, and, and that includes Devin. He does find out Devin, of course, is alive. Uh, besides the two at home, like, would he still want to carve Melisandre's heart out? If he knew that, like, Oh, if Dale, he found out, like, more than those? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's what I mean. Like, I don't know. If he knew that Dale and, like, Allard and, and like, had survived, or Mathos, like, all of them, like, if he saw their ships there, would he still feel that way? But that's the thing is, he knows, obviously, when he's done with Sala, as we'll get into, he knows Devin is still alive, but he also has Ned style disconnected, right? He's like, it's okay. I've lost you. It is what it is, kid. I know I won't get you back. I'm just going to kill Melisandre. Like, what are the repercussions for yeah. Devin if you kill Melisandre, Davos? And he's not, like, at that now, right? You know, he thinks there's nothing left to lose. He's quite like Lady Stoneheart, or even, in some ways, Catelyn at the bedside of Bran in this moment. Mm -hmm. Like, in the same mental state as he's, he's, like, still recovering from, what, dehydration, exposure, etc. And the way that Catelyn was just up for days. So Well, and that thought, so what happens to Devin? Do you think he dies? I think he might have to. I don't know. I I don't know if it's that he dies or if, like, he's there to be like, I hate you, dad. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because he loves Melisandre and Stannis so much. Well, if Melisandre was your babysitter, wouldn't you love her and her big boobies? Again, I just love that we get, like, three pages into Melisandre's chapter and she's like, and Devin was here the whole time. (laughs) Devin is learning so much from the king. Let me just tell you, his <laughs> education is next to none, okay? My god. Oh, so, okay. Back to the story. Back to the books. Davos is with Captain Corain, who docks. They tie up the ship. Corain is like, hey, Salador San will see you before you go see the king, and... Davos can't defy him. He's too weak. So he's like, alrighty. And he gets on a Pentoshi cog. He passes the Valyrian to get on Bountiful Harvest. As he gets on, he finds Salador counting cargo with two eunuchs, wearing a wine-colored tunic and a bleached pair of white leather boots with inlaid silver scrollwork, sniffing spice, auditing counts, holding a wax tablet and lanterns, and complaining about the Pentoshi. He tells Davos, they think they can get one over on this sail with me. When he sees... Oh, holy shit, it's Davos! And he's like, is it... 
pepper stinging my eyes or tears? <laughs> Is this the knight of the onions who stands before me? No. How can it be? My dear friend Davos died on the burning river. All agree. Why has he come to haunt me? And again, kind of a parallel of Lady Stoneheart, right? Returning from death. I'm sure people will be like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> she died. You know, we all saw it. It's absolutely that. But now that you say it, it reminds me of kind of the way that Zaro Zoandoxis regards Danny, The playful language of how, like, when he's telling her, like, you should leave forever. He doesn't say it, but he's like, this is bad and you should go. You know yeah. this, right? Like, you're going to fucking die, Daenerys. Uh, a lot of this reminds me of that, of that kind of play with language. Because then he embraces Davos. He's, like, fiercely embracing him, kissing him on his cheeks and forehead. And he goes, you're still warm, sir. And I feel your heart thumpity thumping. Can it be true? The sea that swallowed you has spit you up again and... I do think Salador is authentic, to be to be oh, fair. Yeah. I do not think that Zaro is authentic, as we know, but I do think Salador is semi-authentic, at least a little bit. Uh, but I just found it kind of like uh, the behavior. Interesting. He's authentic to Davos in a lot of ways. You know, I, I think he does love Davos. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's his man. That's yeah. his man. It's like day one, you know? And... Uh, in, in regards to that line about Davos being spit up again by the sea, I do want to nod to our friend Warren, who, in oh. response to last week's episode, had likened Davos' chapters at the beginning of A Storm of Swords as not like a phoenix rising from the pyre, but he says a kraken from the sea. And I thought that was a that was a really good summation. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, krakens are associated with the Greyjoys, but I, I, I like that. <laughs> I just like that. Yeah, what is dead may never die. Oh, hmm. hmm. That is, a, I mean, that's a thematic thing going on. A little bit, a little bit here, huh? Especially as Maddie pointed out, both Davos and Theon seemed to die at the same time in A Clash of Kings. And you know, it works really well when you bring up Patchface, who yep. Davos is thinking about right now. He's thinking about Patchface because Patchface also drowned, returned alive, but mad. And he goes, am I mad as well? He coughs into I mean, his he's hand, mad. which, yeah, oh, he's mad. Oh, that boy mad. But he, he coughs into his hand, which as you and I have previously discussed, suspicious, a little suspicious now, you know? Yep. In the year 2020, like a lot of that. And I'm like, you're just going to cough into your hand, dude, like that and just hang out with people. It hits different. I know it's I know that's not what's happening, but it feels different. We're applying a modern lens to a published work from years ago, is what we're saying. I was watching and a television show, and like it was a comedy, but like the doctor comes out to tell the family something and pulls his mask down. And in that moment, I like kind of forgot the context. I was like, why is he pulling his mask down? <laughs> uh, we're traumatized. God. I feel that. Today I put a mask on to go yell outside when cars were honking i was like what the fuck it's going on for five minutes people are trying to live <sighs> captain corraine uh has abandoned him right to salador so he's off with salador davos and salador are hanging out davos gives the spiel about how he survived he's like i swam i did the whole thing captain corraine saved me and salador's like captain corraine is gonna get a great reward for this 
Good for Salador. And he directs Mazo Mar to take Davos to a cabin, instructing him to take care of Davos, give him some hot wine and some food for his cough, and he sends him off. He warns Davos, don't eat all the olives before I join you because I'll be mad, which I am in agreement with. I mean, he gives Davos both olives and cheese, and like, again, Saladrasan, good friend. <laughs> the elder of the two eunuchs that uh, escort Davos, they bring him to a furnished cabin at the stern of the ship with stained glass windows and great leather chairs. This is a fancy ass ship. And he receives his snacks and hot wine. He sips it gratefully while he waits for Salador, who appears soon to apologize for giving him pentoshi wine. But Davos doesn't mind. He says it's going to help his chest. Salador then asks him, how does he like that huge comfy chair that you're in? And says that, actually, you know what? It is, in fact, Illyrio Mopatis's chair. And then he calls Illyrio like a whale with whiskers, which is a... That's a description. Uh, and he mentions that Illyria doesn't often stir himself from Pentos to sit in these chairs. And then Davos is like, wait, how did you get this ship again? And I'm just, I thought this was really interesting. And I'm like, so what's up with this? You know, what's Illyria's plan with the Lysini? Yeah, there's something interesting happening here. And it could be nothing. Uh, the explanation we're about to get from Salador is that Stannis has basically given him a paper shield because Stannis cannot afford to pay him, right? So Salador basically says, I'm a captain pirate now. You know, like, I'm an official, I'm a lord pirate now. I'm a prince pirate now for Stannis uh, and gives him this whole spiel. But it's interesting because it seems that he's claiming he seized it through these credentials, but he's also referring to it in some really casual language that Illyrio doesn't often stir himself from Pentos to sit in these chairs. Mm -hmm. It seems a little familiar. So we get this big passage where Salador gives us a Han Solo smuggler passage, right? And he says, Vile Calamy, who has suffered more from pirates than Salador's son? I ask only what is due to me. Much gold is owed, oh yes, but I am not without reason, so in place of coin, I have taken a handsome parchment, very crisp. It bears the name and seal of Lord Alistair Florent, Hand of the King. I am made Lord of Blackwater Bay, and no vessel may be crossing my lordly waters without my lordly leave, no. When these outlaws are trying to steal past me in night... To avoid my lawful duties and customs, they are no better than smugglers, so I am well within my rights to seize them. He basically then says, I'm not taking fingers. Those are worthless. I'm taking goods. So he seized Illyrio's ship. Now, this ship ends up going north. It carries Stannis' fleet to the wall. It encounters storms and ends up being lost in the Shivering Sea. It could be nothing. It could be Salador seizing a ship. But Lord Eastermont is very eager to get Edric Storm off to lease. Seems yeah. they have a plan for the Narrow Seas. Pretty set up. And it feels a little... Is, is Salador counting his chickens or making sure not to count his chickens before that? Is he, is he stacking chickens? I don't know. I mean, I, there are it could be connected. It could be connected, especially if you consider, you know, it is going to lease, which is where Varys is from, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, as our friend Brendan B. Fish has theorized that, 
I think this is his theory, um, that Varys has spirited away yes. Tyrek Lannister uh, to provide like proof of things. And so all of that together is something. And, and that it just comes up again, that Illyrio comes a- up again in this context, especially because this is this book, A Storm of Swords, is our first mention of John Connington. And we start getting a lot more of that setup of the Blackfire Rebellion, especially because on either end of this book, we have those novellas from Duncan Egg that do a lot more of that setup of the Blackfire Rebellion. So we see that George is actually starting to really build that up uh, and flesh out Garden. Those seeds are coming to, to bloom in this book. So all of that is, I think, feels really intentional. It really does. I mean, even House Eastermont, right? You get them in the tourney at Ashford, which I feel like is very familiar to all of this, too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Eastermont is, is like, Sleeper going to be something interesting. You know, their sigil is a turtle. And as we know, George's background is in turtle plots. So, like, he, he just I don't know if they'll ever be serious, serious, but... I do think they'll at least be uh, involved. I think they're involved in the Blackfire plot. I think that has to be it because, I don't know, Lord Eastermont took Edric over there. I think that Stormlord theory is strong. That's all. Need a Stormlord. And they were trying to they were trying to court Arianne Martell at one point mm-hmm. as a wife. So, uh, mm-hmm. as I mean, the Martells don't know about the plot. They think they're probably going to get like a real Targaryen, but... It's interesting, especially because the Martells do have that strong tie with them. Coming back to Solidor, though, in this passage, right, where he talks about his whole role here, I think that Solidor's lines, they do something interesting where they do a lot of work to set him up as an alternate choice to Stannis for Davos, uh, from creating a sort of parallel in that desire of that, that line, right, of, I only ask what is due me. And, you know, Santa seems to think that that's what he's asking, right? And then that Saldor is seizing those who violate laws, where we heard those kinds of ideas before. But then he shows that he's quite different from Santa's, right? He's like, but you know what I'm not into? Taking people's fingers. Uh, (laughs) And he's only interested in punishment by disposing of material goods. And I think back to our friend Lo, who joined us to kick off the second season of His Dark Materials, the television show recently, so go check that out in that discussion. But in that episode, Lo was talking about the French philosopher Michel Foucault, who talks a lot about uh, different power structures uh, in, in Foucault's Discipline and Punish. He talks about the function of the king's power, right, and how the king exerts power over people's bodies. And here we see uh, a sort of counterpoint, right, to how Stannis exerts that entitlement over punishing people's bodies, whereas San's like, I'm not about that. I don't do that. And the alternate choice that San offers throughout all of this chapter kind of reminds me of Robert Baratheon being like, Ned, let's go away. You know, let's become sellswords. But Salador San's like, let's just fucking go back to smuggling, you know? Like, that was chill. And... It's kind of actually more responsible than Robert's proposition because Salder Santos also like, look, we'll go back to your old job, right? It, it wasn't always like legal, right? But you can provide for your family and now you can actually go visit your family. Isn't that great? And like, it also kind of reminds me in that aspect of 
the alternate life path that Quentin could have taken. Uh, but then he dies. Um, but like Ned, Davos doesn't accept the offers of going to Essos. Yeah, Salador is surveying Davos's declining health. He's like, oh, your finger bones are gone from your neck, not your hands. Uh, which <laughs> that, Davos explains, you've been like yes. that. Different, different figure bones. He's been like this. Uh, but Davos explains he lost his bones in the river. And Salador's solemn. He's like, oh, the river. Smokes a cigar, you know, lights it up. And he's like, I haven't heard that in about two days. <sighs> Davos is like, okay, so what did we lose? Tell it to me straight. Part of him was really hopeful. But Salador's like, ah, no. Even the ships who made it out of the madness were struck inoperable due to the chain. They came down on all of them. Not by Fleetwood Mac. Different chain. Uh, and even Davos's last hopes of Wraith and Lady Maria being maybe alive smashed. Salador squeezes his arm, says, I'm sorry, Dale and Allard were good men. Devon remains, though, as he never once left the king's side in battle, says Salador. Interesting. Davos says, the mother's merciful, readying to go to Stannis, and Salador's like, you'll want to maybe sail home to Maria. Aha, uh-huh, and your two little sons. You'll you'll need a new ship. And Davos is like, I can get a new ship from Stannis. And Salador's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't get me. You need a new ship and you need to go home, buddy. Yeah, you do. I agree. <laughs> but Salador then goes on to say, of ships, his grace has none. Salador's son has many. The king's ships burned up on the river, but not mine. You shall have one, old friend. You will sail for me, yes? You'll dance into Bravos and Mir and Volantis into the black of night, unseen. Dance out again with silks and spices. We'll be having fat purses, yes? You are kind, Sela, but <coughs> my duties to my king, not your purse. <laughs> the war will go on. Stannis is still <coughs> the rightful heir by all the laws of the seven. Kingdoms. Yes, you will. All the laws are not helping when all the ships burn up, I am thinking. And your king, well, you will be finding him changed, I am fearing, since the battle he sees no one but broods in his stone drum. I just really wanted to, you know, convey Davos in his current state. Yeah, no, you did a great job. And this is... This is definitely, like, there is a lot of subtext we're going to get into, but, like, Davos is not listening at all. Not one yes. bit. I think then Maddie also get... said this. Go home. To Go Davos. home. Go home. We've said it. Maddie said it. Salador San said it. Davos is not listening to us, everyone. And Salador then kicks this one off, and he's like, by the way, Solice is keeping Stannis's court. Lord Alistair is Hand. He named himself Hand, and he's continuing to fix Stannis's seal to letters. The money's run out. The only ships that are left are Salador's, and Stannis is like, I will not see anyone, only Melisandre. Salador reluctantly is her? like, also... <laughs> her. <laughs> uh, Salador is like, also bad news. Even Shireen and Stannis's wife aren't allowed to come near him. Servants put meals out and no one eats them. Huge fires take place in the mountain where he and the Red Woman watch. All I'm imagining is just like, is it some bloody sex ritual? No one knows. 
No one fucking knows. Uh, Salador tells him rumors of secret stairs and shafts within the mountain that Melisandre can walk across unburnt. That is kind of interesting in the context of what we know about the mythos surrounding Daenerys, right? Mm-hmm. The unburnt. I do believe Melisandre can do it, or she just like doesn't care because... Yeah. Well, actually, no, she says that the ruby burns her throat at times, but anyways. Um, it's interesting. We have this quote where Davos is recalling the time at Storm's End, you know, with the shadow baby, and thinks it is enough and more to give an old man such terrors that sometimes he can scarcely find the strength to eat. Melisandre, Davos shivered. The red woman did th- Sorry. The red woman did this to him, <laughs> he said. <laughs> she sent the fire to consume us, to punish Stannis for <coughs> setting her aside, to teach him that he could not hope to win without her sorceries. Yo, who is going to tell him it was Tyrion? <laughs> is anyone going to tell him it was t- It was not... I'm so tired. It was Davos. the other sorcerer. Mel- For once, it was not her. It, it was, was the dudes pyromancers. that were paid. She's not even getting paid. She's a freelancer. That pussy is freelance. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Absolutely. Powerful freelance. Truly powerful. She's got a powerful pussy, you know? And, you know, I'm just like, if Melisandre could, in fact, actually... Like, just send the fire to consume you at the Blackwater. Like, goddamn, you know, she wouldn't need all of her tricks and trappings (laughs) of power that she has to do for all of it. Like, that's pretty literal power. That's, uh, that's, like, dragon-level power, practically. And it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of hoops that are being jumped through here. But as we know, Davos is grieving. And I will say... Maybe it's Liam Cunningham's performance as Davos, as this really lovable, trustworthy older man. Um, and I'm not saying that Davos is untrustworthy, right? But he's not being completely honest with himself, I think, in some of these chapters. And yes, Davos's later acts uh, are technically of treason, but light treason, good treason. But when Davos tells us that he isn't like a super like all-around, an all-good man... I think we should take him at his word because I think, you know, what he's doing here, it is human, right? Again, he's grieving, but he refuses to, again, lay any blame at Stannis' feet. We talked about this last episode, but, like, he's only blaming Melisandre, and he's foisting all of the sins and guilt of, like, everything that's happened throughout this time onto her. And I think there's an aspect of that that is a bit misogynistic, right? Like how Cersei, uh, what Maddie was saying, right, about Cersei's punishment mm-hmm. and it, it coming down to misogyny as opposed to like anything that's actually happening or what she's actually guilty of. And, you know, beyond projecting Stannis's loss at the Blackwater onto Melisandre, which I will say, you know, are actually a series of results from Stannis' choices, from, again, who he put into leadership, choosing to go along, choosing, choosing to go along with a plan to murder his brother Renly, which is part of what lent such gravitas to the whole, oh my god, Renly's ghost is at the Blackwater thing. And then also for not choosing to ride to King's Landing when he should have. And then when Davos and Salador son, you know, they advise him to do that, which had he done so would have meant that maybe Tyrion's chain and, and the wildfire wasn't all ready yet, you know, or Tywin wouldn't get there in time. All of that is a result of Stannis's choices, not Melisandre. And 
Beyond that, I think there's an element of Davos and the Shadow Baby where he's kind of intentionally forgetting what the mother just told him in the previous chapter, which is like, well, Davos, actually, you were a little bit culpable, right? In the death of Penrose, which is something that Melisandre points out to him as well. He's the one rowing this boat. It's not just Melisandre. And Davos refuses to acknowledge that that case, right? That it wasn't just Melisandre who killed Courtney and sullied Davos's armor. And I think that's a big part of what's going on here. Because, like, it was Stannis who gave that command, not Melisandre. And Davos is just so keen on his, like, fixation on protecting Stannis's purity. And I think the finger bones play a role in all of that, uh, as well as Davos's station. It's a way for him to kind of justify Stannis's actions and taking his finger bone, his fingers. Rationalizing yeah. it. No, that's that is absolutely it. And it's interesting because the finger bones are not the only signifier as we're about mm-hmm. to discuss. There's definitely some other really blatant hypocrisies, right? Uh, from things Melisandre has said. I mean, even down to the fact that Davos is who we learn through that Melisandre is not here on the Blackwater because some guys told Stannis then people yes. would say it was her fault. Like, Davos literally highlights that inconsistency. And right now, out of his grief, out of his anger, and out of his refusal to blame Stannis for what happened, Davos is like, it's her fault. And it is Ain't it always Lauren's fault? Yeah. It's always her fault. And it's glaring as we get through this. There's definitely a few more hypocrisies to cover. So stay tuned as we keep going. But... First, Sala is eating an olive, which is my favorite because it sounds delicious. It's plump. It's described as a juicy, plump olive. It's a, I love olives. Have you ever had feta-stuffed olives or blue-cheese-stuffed olives? Um, I might have. I just like olives in general. I love all of them. Uh, olive. Olive. Them. I think I only used to have bad olives, it. but when you have good olives, like what it sounds like Sala Drosan <sighs> here has, like, damn... Amazing olive season too. I've had I've had real olives like oh. fresh, 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 like not in a can, like the real stuff, and that's a good season. But Salador eats this olive, and he tells Davos, "You know, you're not the first to think this way about Melisandre, but you need to definitely shut up about <laughs> it and be quieter because it turns out the Queen's men have sharp ears and sharper knives." He says, "Interesting. That's an interesting way to say that." By the way. Yeah. Sharp knives, sharp ears. Speaking of the, the daggers in the dark we accompany uh, later, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Davos ma- tells Salador he has a sharp knife as well, and he pulls the dirk that Captain Corian gifted him. A knife to cut out Melisandre's heart, if she has one. Salador spits out the olive, total waste of the olive, and is like... You can't joke about that kind of stuff, man. You know, that's like yelling fire in a theater. Uh, and Davos is like, I'm not joking, man. He doesn't know if she can be killed, but he's like, I can try. He thinks, a knife in the heart, though. Even demons can be killed by cold iron, the singers say. Oh, interesting. In this book, where we see that, not iron, but oh. still... That ha- we do see that. Yeah, that happens. Solidor San tries to talk Davos into resting, but Davos refuses. No olives for him. Uh, and no cheese. He's like, I'm not going to stay with you. I'm going to the castle, to my bed, to my son, to murder. And Melisandre is in the castle. 
uh, worn Solidor San, Davos shoots his dirk, and he's like, fucking good. No, he doesn't say that. And he asks Davos, oh my god, Davos, but what do you even actually, like, know? Like, sit, sit, sit me down, you know, tell me about your plan, I guess, Davos. What do you even, like, know about skulking and stabbing? And he's like, you know what, I think, I think you are too ill for this battle. And you know what, he is. Davos needs to quarantine right now. <laughs> Christ. Uh, he reveals yeah. that the queen was burning traitors while they were out there burning in the black water themselves and calling them servants of the dark. And Melisandre's songs accompany the flames and the queen burnt Lord Sunglass and Hubert Rampton's sons. And Sala says, you know, she's gonna burn you too, Davos, if you don't succeed. So don't fuck this up. And he's like, I think he's gonna fuck it up. And he warns. She will sing and you will scream and then you will die. So there's definitely something happening here once more with the glaring hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And it is laid out very blatantly bringing you back to when Davos and Mel spent some very quality time together in his second chapter in Clash of Kings. Davos and Mel on the water are discussing shadows, and Davos says that a shadow is a thing of darkness. And Melisandre answers, You are more ignorant than a child, Sir Knight. There are no shadows in the dark. Shadows are servants of light, the children of fire. The brightest flame casts the darkest shadows. So in what Salador is telling Davos, he said the queen is burning traitors and calling them servants of the dark. This is basically telling us that this is not for a religious higher power, not a sacrifice for the religion, but it's actually for feudalistic power, right? She is burning people because she's calling them servants of the dark. But we literally have a passage where Melisandre explains to Davos that silly shadows are servants of the light. We're of the light. We're of the fire. Melisandre has explained to him how her religion works. And he is yet still choosing to say, ah, it's the red woman's fault. The queen is burning people. I think that this is something really interesting George is doing with this chapter. Um, this is probably something, and especially with Selyse being revealed here that she's just burning some traitors, you know, for funsies. Like, this is what Dragonstone has devolved into. But... Maybe George is saving more Selyse burning stuff for early The Winds of Winter when John is still dead. And we'll open and the Queen's been burning some non-believers or some dissenting watchmen because, you know, she may not have planned the mutiny, but she definitely didn't turn around, look the other way and say, I won't see anything if you all stab Jon Snow. Um, I'm in a couple minds about why he added Selyse burning people at all in this and why he didn't follow it up in A Dance with Dragons a little stronger. I think he might have thought he was making the Stannis bad argument a little too obvious. Mm, Maybe yeah. make it a little grayer. I do think he probably pulled back because Stannis, uh, we know his story might be a little foreshadowing for the future, right? And if you frame him as desperately evil, how is your ending going to stick? I get it. I do. And I do think that having Selyse just burn people left and right for 80 books straight is not a good idea. Gotta use it sparingly and in dark times, like right now. Now, that being said, Selyse also is ugly on the inside. George describes her, as we've talked about, as very ugly on the outside, which might be unnecessary. 
you know, because she's already pretty ugly on the inside and cares only about status and power. I think Davos's comprehension of all of this is uh, frightened, right? He, he's frightened of what his king is becoming, mm-hmm. what his king has become, of what Davos doesn't know. He's frightened of the unknown. He refuses to trust, to have faith, to see. And in these moments, he is clinging to what he knows. The Seven and the mockery of whatever their faces is now and Stannis, his other god. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's an interesting point on um, George maybe pulling back on how he's framing Stannis. And I think he kind of needs to, right? Especially with what's going to happen in the next few chapters mm-hmm. to make it more, you know, believable that Stannis would be like, you know what? It's fine that you committed this treason, I guess. And you're right. Maybe we should go north because that's the sort of uh, act that I guess George thinks of as defining Stannis as a righteous man. And what's interesting here is how Davos interprets, I think that there, Melisandre is doing multiple things in these burnings, right? Yes, there's a part of it that is the performance for that feudalistic power. But I also think that, as we see, Melisandre's devout. I think that she thinks it's effective on some level. And there's also an aspect of, like, I feel like this is also in terms of comprehension, as you were saying, where Davos should have thought for two seconds, like, you know, it's interesting. If Melisandre is burning people or was burning people during the Blackwater in order to help Stannis at the Blackwater... Maybe she didn't, in fact, bring the wildfire to spite him. But, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> he, yeah. He's mad with grief right now. And also, he's I mean, not that, batting 100%, you know? He's not batting he's a- 100%. But this is a denial thing he's been doing for, like, a while. Yeah, this is more than just his current in- injuries. I mean. Yeah. Definitely. Salador thinks that Davos is wasting his second chance at life, and Davos is like, no, no, man, this is why I was kept <laughs> alive. <laughs> He's like, the mother sent a wind to Shyala's dance to get her to come find me. He goes on saying the mother blessed him with seven sons, but yet he let them burn the mother. Again, his guilt is coming through. He tells Salador on the mother speaking to him that they called the fire in the shadows that Melisandre birthed. Because, again, this is a lot of him accepting that guilt, like, I did have something to do with this. Davos says Melisandre killed Crescent, Lord Renly, brave Courtney Penrose, and that now someone must kill her. And Salador's like, yeah, but it doesn't have to be you, buddy. You're pretty weak right now. If you just stay here, eat, we could sail to Bravos. We could hire a faceless man to do it. Hang out, Davos. Let's just get you, you know, like a day of sleep. That's all, buddy. But Davos yeah, literally a day of sleep. does not budge. Right, like maybe like one day. It'll be fine. Davos won't budge. And Salador is kind of angry now. Yeah. He is making this much harder, thought Davos wearily. And it was perishingly hard to begin with. I have vengeance in my belly, Sala. <laughs> It leaves no room for food. Let me go now for our friendship. Wish me luck and let me go. You are no true friend, I am thinking. When you are dead, who will be bringing your ashes and bones back to your lady wife and telling her that she has lost a husband and four sons? Only sad old Salador San. But so be it, brave Sir Knight. Go rushing to your grave. 
I'll gather your bones in a sack and give them to the sons you leave behind to wear in little bags around their necks. He waved an angry hand with rings on every finger. Go, 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 go. Davos did not want to leave like this. Sala! Go, or stay better, but if you are going, go. He went. And I will say, you know, again, Solidar Sod actually seems like a pretty good friend. He's like, you know, I, I guess I'll just take his bones then back to his family. That's a big, that's a big deal. And yeah. he gives him olives and cheese. He's offering him a new job. I mean, he offered him a whole new life. Yeah. Or his you know, old life. Like but Maddie said. New. Yeah. But, you know, newer. I mean, it's like Maddie said earlier. These are his men. You know, this was his chance. He could have left. He could have had a better life. And it's also very obvious. Davos is out of his fucking brain right now. Okay. He's exhausted. He's been surviving off of, like, bits of crab and shit. And he's burnt. And he's thirsty. He's hungry. He's tired. And Salador's attempts at talking him into resting have gone completely unlistened to. And it's it's very obvious. Salador's not just warning him, like, hey, you should keep your voice down when talking about controversial things. He's warning him, the whole game has changed since you've been gone for a week. Stannis is a different person now. Things are different. If you go there to Dragonstone in this manner, it will not turn out okay. But he's trying to say it in a subtle way so that if anyone's eavesdropping in trying to find out valuable information about some of the king's men, Davos would not be caught or Salador would not be caught. But he doesn't even have the energy to think about that at this point, right? Yeah, I think Salador San's speech here is like Ilaria San's speech. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Because he is. He's like, come on. This is this is the option. This is the most peaceful option. This will avoid that. We can just live in peace. And this did read us some other moments, not just Ilaria, which is a great call, but a couple of other ones, right? Like Asha and Theon, mm. for example. This reads very strongly Asha and Theon to me when she comes to him to the Wolfwood. Yes. And, and later his thoughts on Theon 5 in Clash. Come dawn, he dressed and went outside to walk along the outer walls. A brisk autumn wind was swirling through the battlements. It reddened his cheeks and stung his eyes. He watched the forest go from gray to green below him as light filtered through the silent trees. On his left, he could see tower tops, their roofs gilded by the rising sun, the red leaves of the weirwoods, a blaze of flame along the green. Ned Stark's tree, he thought, and Stark's wood. Stark's castle, Stark's sword, Stark's gods. This is their place, not mine. I'm a Greyjoy of Pike, born to paint a kraken on my shield and sail the Great Salt Sea. I should have gone with Asha. I can hear that echoed from Davos now. Stannis' gods, Stannis' castle, Stannis' swords. Should have gone with Salador, right? Uh, I, I, I imagine we'll hear him think this very same thing and the winds of winter that he should have gone. And I think not only that, but in a way it reads like Theon that uh, Davos already had some of what Theon experiences, right? Theon loses parts of his body for his god, mm, yeah. and he worships his god. This might be controversial, but there's another character in this story that cuts off fingers for fun. I mean, I don't know that it's... Not fun, but yeah. you know what I mean. 
controversial. I think that it's set up that way, right? I, I don't think we're the first. I forgot. Someone else has pointed that out, too. That the Ramsey's trying to set himself up as, like, this controller, this god, and a cruel god in Theon's mm-hmm. world. Uh, which, it, it reminds me a little of, I forgot the name of the character, but the character in George R. R. Martin's novella. Novella? Short story. In his short story, Sand Kings. And the idea of a cruel god. And Ramsay, of course, you know, kind of parallels Euron's. Mm-hmm. The way Euron frames himself as that sort of god. And I, I think so, you know, when it comes to mm-hmm. all of what you said here. I think Davos will find that he loses faith. I mean, I think a lot of people are going to find themselves losing faith in Stannis. Uh, I'm sure he finds himself losing faith in himself all the time. But we don't get that. <laughs> Well, that's very kind of you. Very magnanimous, Eliana, for you to think so highly of Stannis in this podcast. Uh, Davos trudges a very lonely trudge to Dragonstone after this, right? No no Salador. He goes through the deserted dockside streets. Oh my god, he goes past rats. Dragonstone. I'm about to walk past a rat if you don't stop. His legs are like pudding. He's coughing. It's not great. Yeah, again, hits different. And no one looks out at the noise that he's making. No one actually seems to care. More than half the houses in the street display signs of mourning with barred windows and doors, and thousands sailed up the Blackwater Rush and hundreds came back, Davos reflected. My sons did not die alone. May the mother have mercy on them all. The way that Dragonstone is described here, right, with all of this emptiness, it kind of uh, makes me feel like it's turned, as Davos enters, from symbolizing Melisandre to really, I think, portraying Davos' state himself right now. It's a play, you know, playing on how he's almost died and he's barely clinging to life now and is quite changed. I know you were singing Green Day about this lonely road Davos is walking along. However, a more canonical song that comes to mind is... Again, as we mentioned last episode, the mother's prayer, right? Oh yeah, that's actually in the series. Literally, in in series music. Well, the gates are shut at the walls of Dragonstone and Davos has to pound on the iron-studded wood over and over until a crossbowman finally appears and he does not believe who Davos is. Davos starts naming people. He's like, Jate Blackberry, Lord Chittering, Hookface Will, Hal the Hog, get them, they know me. And the crossbowman's like, I know these men. All of them are dead, but I know of them. Yeah, so he doubts himself. He's like, maybe, could be him, maybe. And I don't know that this is actually Davos learning to be nobility, but it's that same sort of test of someone who's come back from the dead or reappeared. They make Jane take a similar test when she arrives to Winterfell to prove herself as Arya Stark. Right, but it, it reminds me a little bit of how nobles can, other people's names can be used as like sort of a way to legitimize someone in the way that Courtney Penrose was looking for the, for Brienne again and Loras to legitimize Stannis's camp, mm-hmm. and, and Davos is doing the same and imploring these names. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of Sansa when she met Barristan and Renly, mm. of course, earlier on and figured out who they were. And it actually reminds me of the bad show uh, when Arya comes to Winterfell, finally. Oh, yeah, that's and right. And the guards don't know her. Yeah, so interesting that they kind of had that similar idea to use, but I don't know if they 
stole it from the booksies or they just came up with it, I would never let them have any merit. But I wonder, I'm sure we'll see that. We may see something like that with Arya or with someone else in Winterfell or any of the other long past places. The man at the gates directs Davos to wait, and he grieves while he waits, thinking of these men that he was just told died that he used to battle with. He thinks, drowned or burned, with my sons and a thousand others, gone to make a king in hell. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's some shit. That's something. The crossbowman returns. He instructs him, hey, you're going to need to go to the Sally Port. You'll be admitted there. And he's ushered inside by strangers with a Florence sigil on their breast, escorted to Aegon's garden. And to his surprise, he was expecting to be taken to the king, to the stone drums. That's our first kind of a poke saying, hey, something's wrong. Not right. Not right. Aegon's garden is, again, a very interesting setting. I think we're probably going to see some scenes with Daenerys here, as I mentioned it does feel the closest thing to a godswood on mm. Dragonstone, right? And probably the prettiest part of the place because it is kind of overgrown with big old dragons and gargoyles and sweeping hot magical rock. It has tall dark trees in this garden, wild roses, towering thorny hedges, and cranberries. It's very distinct. It has a pleasant piney scent. I... I uh, I imagine we'll get a Generis scene here. Oh. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, That's I imagine there will be a Generis scene, and it's not like a, a "I just think we will" kind of thing because I think I have a reason. First of all, this is a perfect setting for Shireen and Edric to first appear, which we'll get to soon. It's beauty, it's purity, innocence amongst smug and metal and heat. It's magic growing from the ground, not from flame. But at the same time. This is absolutely a Garden of Eden scenario, right? Especially with temptation for Davos. The temptation being Stannis that he continually chooses. And, of course, he receives punishment for this temptation, which is Sir Florent, as we'll get into. More on the garden, though. I thought that the contents of the garden were just kind of interesting because it's so distinct. Um, there's a heavy pine scent, which we're getting a lot of greenery as we get into the Stormlands. But in ancient Greece, the pine was actually sacred to Dionysus and his worshippers. It meant life, longevity, immortality, and in the ancient city of Corinth, the Corinthians actually were ordered by the Delphic oracle to worship the pine along with Dionysus as a god. The pine was a sacred tree of the Mithraic cult, and it became pretty widespread in ancient Rome. I think it's symbol of, like, immortality and being present in this garden this garden of dragons right this ancient garden that's been around mm -hmm. for a while now felt really strong and of course having wild roses there felt really strong not just for in universe as far as the north goes with their love of blue roses and of course the tyrells with their roses which feels kind of significant here for the baratheon reign against the tyrells and they're creeping uh they're passion right roses are usually ferocity but more importantly they've been really strong symbols in christianity for the virgin mary or as someone we've been talking about the mother yes the mother 
Yeah, that is exactly what they come to remind me of, especially like when you think about the most famous miracle for Virgin Mary involving roses, Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mm. uh, when believers would say Mary arranged roses in an intricate pattern in the poncho of a man named Juan Diego to form a supernatural imprinted image, which depicts Mary and an angel, symbolically illustrating the gospel message, which was basically sending illiterate Aztec people to come in faith to Jesus Christ. Look, I didn't write the religion, thank God, okay? Uh, But the one that I found really interesting was cranberries. The fact that there were cranberries in this garden. Cranberries are an autumn fruit, right? They are basically symbolizing the Earth's abundance. They're usually autumn and winter, and they grow when you don't think things would grow, like winter. Hmm. I thought it was most interesting because Salador's ship is called the Bountiful Harvest uh, that they were on. Interesting. The Pento Chicago. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and, you know, what is Illyrio gardening? But I think the idea that Daenerys and John will have a scene here is interesting, especially with, like, you know, Shireen. As you said, Shireen and Edric. Shireen, uh, fairly obvious at the moment, like, female heir. And another bastard potential other heir with another strong, strong tie to royalty. So, yeah. Um, But Davos, you know, as you said, it's kind of weird here that he's in this garden. He's told to wait. He asks if the guard, if his grace knows that Davos has returned. And the guard's like, I don't fucking know, dude. And reiterates, you need to wait. And Davos gazes around at those cranberries that you're men- at those cranberries that you were mentioning and the foliage and is wondering, wait, wait, why am I waiting here? And he f- hears a faint ring of bells and children giggling, which are Shireen and Patchface. They're playing and running and chasing one another. And Shireen yells at him, "You come back now!" She was shouting after him, "Patches, you come back!" <laughs> It's my daughter. I'm sorry. I love her so much. It's so sad she's gonna die. It actually really is. And I think this is like like one of our first <laughs> scenes seeing her. It's definitely our first in Davos's POV directly. Mm-hmm. So Patchface halts because he sees Davos. Must be a drowned man thing. And uh <laughs> we get this passage. When the fool saw Davos, he jerked to a sudden halt, the bells on his antlered tin helmet going tingling, tingling. Hopping from one foot to the other, he sang, Fool's blood, king's blood, blood on the maiden's thigh, but chains for the guests and chains for the bridegroom. Aye, 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 aye. Why is he singing this to the children? Oh my god. I don't know, but I committed oh no, to the You bit. did, you did. I love the addition yeah. of the eyes. But Three more, it felt balanced. I'm pretty sure everyone knows what this is about. I think, I, well, the Red Wedding, it's been discussed quite a bit. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I don't know it. Uh, uh, but it, Yeah, foreshadowing. I get it. I get it. Exactly. And it being about the Red Wedding, you know, it's just something else tying Davos and Stoneheart's storylines. You know, I appreciate that because there is nothing I like more than getting Stoneheart. Oh, wow. That's what happened, you know, with that, that deer that Joffrey was looking for. Left, got stoned. I just hope that I get to be Lady Stoneheart often in the future. I hope so, too. I hope that happens for you. I hope that Shireen, you know, catches Patchface, but she only almost catches up because he hops and vanishes into the trees and she runs after him. 
feels very Alice in Wonderland. Anyways, Davos can't help but smile at them, turning to cough into his glove. Davos, please quarantine, go home. When another child comes bowling out of the shrubbery, it's Edric Storm. Yeah, Edric Storm is here. His eyes are bright blue. He has dark jet black hair that falls to his collar. And he's like, you shouldn't get in my way when I run. And Davos is like, I agree. I should not get in your way when you run. Davos is, of course, seized by a rough course of coughing. He's brought to his knees. And then Edric, because he is a good boy, leans down, takes him by the arm, helps him right back up after. And I just want to say kids are asymptomatic. We have learned that during the pandemic in 2020. So as far as we know, but some of them are having long term uh, later down the road issues. Oh, good. Things are great. Things are fine. Edric is literally crashing into our story right now, and I love his entrance. It feels like this reminder to us, hey, Davos, something is important here, and guess what it is? Kids. Davos, once he is able to get past that bargaining stage with his survivor's guilt, he's going to be able to focus on the children again. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, and as we know from Ned's storyline, saving the kids is... Pretty important. It's a big part of George R. R. Martin's moral compass that he sets up in this book. And, you know, as you said, Edric Storm, he's a pretty nice boy. You know, he's worried that Davos is unwell. He's like, should I go summon the maester? And Davos declines. Davos, go see the maester. Get medical help. You have insurance. You literally have insurance for the first time in your life, Davos. Oh my god. And... Edric tells him he interrupted a game of monsters and maidens, and Edric was the monster, and he kind of finds the game childish, apparently, but he's like, yeah, but Shireen likes the game. He's, like, asking Davos' hmm. name, and Davos tells him he's Sir Davos Seaworth. I have to laugh at this, because today my partner, you don't know him, but today my partner was like, he was like, I love how Edric just storms, haha, into the story and is like, you look sick. I'm rich. I'll call a doctor. It's very funny. It's very funny yeah. to me. But he's just like, it's not in a bad way. Edric doesn't know. He just is this silly royal bastard. Uh, and something very interesting here we're about to learn about is Edric's knowledge of his father, right? Mm-hmm. We've already met one bastard in the story of Roberts on a more personal level, Maya Stone, who was like, I kind of remember my dad. He was there for me once. I was like six months, but he threw me in the air once. It was awesome. <laughs> and Gendry's yeah. like, I Doesn't don't know, know anything. <laughs> Gendry's like, my dad sent me a weapon. Uh, He's like, it's interesting. I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> we can see, you know, where the importance is in Westeros is all. Adric says, well, you don't look quite knightly. To Davos and Davos is like I'm the Onion Knight. Edric's like, yo, I've heard all about you. You fed Uncle Stannis when he was under siege from Lord Tyrell, and basically Edric gets all tall. He's like squaring his shoulders, like I'm Edric Storm, Robert's son. And Davos is like, no fucking shit. Uh, and Edric is like, did you know Robert, my father? Davos is very polite. He's like, I knew little enough of him, but he called on Stannis once in a while. Edric is very proud of his dad. He's like, Robert taught me to fight, and we'd train once a year. He even sent me a war hammer, just like his, but smaller. 
he gets right to the chase, Aww. right? He's like, is it true my uncle cut your fingers off? And Davos is like, just a little bit of them. Not a lot, just a little. Edric's like, that's ill done, Onion Knight. You smuggled and fed my uncle and he chopped your fingers off. True. I agree, Edric. You're, you're doing great. <laughs> He's like, my dad wouldn't have chopped your fingers off. Yeah, it, it's a pretty cute exchange in many ways. It's Davos is pretty uncomfortable, but it's, I think, um, in my opinion, it's a heartwarming exchange. But Davos is kind of caught up in thinking that Edric reminds him of both Robert and Renly. And I guess that makes sense. Uh, Edric would have grown up quite a bit around Renly at Storm's End. The, and these are, as we all know, the Baratheon brothers that Davos doesn't think as highly of. And that kind of concerns him about Edric, because he's still like, you know, all rah-rah Stannis. And I think, interestingly, this is, again, the first time that we've actually seen Edric Storm, considering that this is the boy that Davos has risked his honor, his morality, right, in order to secure this boy for his king to be a hostage and sacrifice, as we'll find out later on, and who, later on, it's going to call Davos's honor and morals into question in a different way, as Davos has to think of, like, how do I save this boy's life? And I'm like, sure, you know, sure, there are aspects of him that are a bit like both Robert and Renly, in that Edric idolizes his father, he worships him, but, I mean, whom's amongst Robert's children <laughs> who knows that Robert is their father, a allegedly child, you know, in terms of the Lannister children like or not like who who among them didn't idolize him he's got this huge mythos around him and you know the way that edric wields his lordliness true word or not he does at that beginning you know kind of come off a little smug and entitled he he questions davos's knighthood from his appearances at first and then when he finds out about him being the onion knight he orders davos to show me when he wants to see his fingers yeah. Also, when you think about it, aren't most of Robert's kids allegedly his kids? Like, almost all of them are allegedly his kids. That's true. This one's confirmed because everyone caught them, but... There's, like, yeah. Uno confirmed. Yeah, the, just the one. But also, also, I did find this interesting because Edric, of course, is just boasting about his dad. And remember when Davos, just last book, was like... Lol, bad move, everyone. Like, do not talk about his brothers. Like, even Davos is like, mm, guy's messed up. Don't talk about his brothers. Mm -hmm. Having Edric at court is fun, I bet. It's probably a fun time. I bet Edric's just leaning over Stannis' shoulder all the time like, Uncle Stannis, don't you think my father would have done it this way? Yeah, or he'd be like, well, Uncle Stannis, my dad... <laughs> and uh, he must hate uh, that. I no wonder he wants too. to kill I'm him. Be honest. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and it. I mean, interesting in this moment where uh, Edric's talking about his dad. Davos is not thinking of his sons. They don't remind him of his own mm -hmm. kids. But you know, coming back to Edric himself in this introduction, that despite all of that, despite his uh, likeness to Robert and Renly, which I don't think are like the greatest sins that one could have in terms of likenesses to them. There are worse things about both Robert and Renly to be like, these are not them. And, you know, I think there's like a, a very real innocence and goodness to Edric. Like, he sees Davos ill, 
and when he crashes into him, as you said, helps him up. And his first thought is like, I should get this man help. You know, he doesn't shy away from this dirty old man. Like, he he helps him up, and despite all of that, um, tries to get his, ha- tries to find him aid. And then when Davos tells him that he's the Onion Knight, Edric is just like in absolute awe of Davos. He's like, suddenly this man has transformed into a knight in front of his very eyes. It's very much like the songs in that sort of way, right? Like, oh, oh, this man who doesn't look like anything is is, is this legend. Like, this is like meeting Barristan the Bold to him, especially in the context of what Robert Robert's Rebellion would have obviously meant for Edric Storm and in this regime. And the, the thing is... I think that makes Davos uncomfortable is that Edric questions the sort of justice then that's delivered by the lords and authority rather than blindly following. And I think that this is to Edric's merit. He decides that compassion is better. And maybe he's just following his father's like footsteps though, but he decides that compassion is better rather than being like, mm, Davos, your fingers definitely should have been cut off. He's like, that was ill done. And Davos can't see past this sort of rationale at first because he sees, again, he's blinded by all these references to Robert and Renly, gets defensive about Stannis' punishment when it gets called into question. And I think Stannis just isn't ready to let go of Stannis the god yet and see Stannis the human. He's like held on to those finger bones for a really long time, partially because I think he needed to buy into his own personal myth that what Stannis did was just, and that he, Davos the Smuggler, was in fact a sinner, and has been righted from that, and that the atrocities that Stannis called on him to do in that last book, that those were sort of these heavenly mandates, heavenly orders. But now that he's lost these bones, I think we're going to see Davos then have to not only let go of the bones, but with it the myth of Stannis's divine justice. Something interesting in this introduction of Edric, as you mentioned with the physicality of him reaching down to pick Davos up, is that that's also what Robert did, right? Especially throughout the rebellion. He picked his enemies up off the ground from their knees when they fell to the knees. Yeah. There's a lot of things that and I hate I thought about that Robert. was really interesting visualization. Like you just reading it, I said, Oh, yeah. He did what his father did. He picked up Davos from his knees and said, Come on up, Onion Knight, I respect you. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a lot of things that I hate about Robert. There's a lot of things I really, mm-hmm. really dislike about him. But I, he was a great dude to other men. <laughs> and this is one of those things. And like you said, picks them back up. And, you know, our, I think that's a big part of A Song of Ice and Fire, right? We can be the better parts that we learn from our parents. We don't have to, just because we emulate that doesn't mean we have to emulate mm-hmm. their shortcomings. Yeah, I mean, that is the brightest part of Robert, right? Like, that is pretty much it, that Robert was a great king slash lord to his men and said, ah, we'll do a great job. We'll make it happen, gentlemen. We'll make it. He's the good boss, you know? Everyone has one good boss in their lifetime, right? And that's the good boss. He was like, yeah, all right. He wasn't so bad to work for. Like, yeah, he wasn't great, but, like, things didn't suffer as much as they could have under him. And for that, we're grateful. Unlike Stannis. Stannis hated him as a boss, and, you know, Uh, that man did not appreciate what he had. That's for sure. Davos lets Edric win this whole conversation, right? He's like, alright, kid, you win. 
Edric's about to get all chatty and say something else, but they are then interrupted by Axel Florent himself with a dozen guards dressed in the Lord of Light uniforms. The Queen's uncle, he had served as Castellan of Dragonstone for a decade and had always treated Davos courteously, knowing he enjoyed the favor of Lord Stannis. But there was neither courtesy nor warmth in his tone as he said, Sir Davos, and undrowned. How can that be? <coughs> Onions float, sir. Have you come to take me to the king? I have come to take you to the dungeon. Sir Axel waved his men forward. Seize him and take his dirk. He means to use it on our lady. <coughs> Wait, whose lady is that? I thought you were queen's men. Oh, Mm, mm, interesting. Well, we all know, as they say in the John chapters, just which queen that is. Oh, Davos, his fingers, his son, his relationship, his body, his soul. He fought, he swam, he avoided the fire, avoided the chain, and yet some dude with some ear hair is <laughs> locking him up. Once more, he is imprisoned. Maybe it was Melisandre's fires. What a bummer. Ear hair is such a visual but uh, it's all i could think about is his ear hair is all i know sprouting i don't know would, would your ears be itchy would they be better anyways but like yeah davos is imprisoned for an act that he hasn't done yet very minority report subplot uh versus you know the way that he was kind of rewarded in the past book for the very real crimes that he committed or played a part in such as smuggling um or, you know, playing a part in Penrose's murder. So so it's quite interesting being arrested for something you haven't done yet. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, he has full fingers, first of all. Second of all, uh, on the other hand, <laughs> it's a joke. I'm so funny. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> promote me. Uh, promoted, promoted. Uh, get it? On the other hand, he has different yes, fingers. Yes, we can negotiate, um, Chloe. Uh, good boss, oh, I'm the God. good boss, you know. Lift you up. 3% above what you're offering me. <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, I feel that about last chapter he was praised, and this chapter he's- or a few chapters ago he was praised, sorry, and now he's being punished for his acts, but I also am like, hmm, guess you should have kept your voice down, Davos, as Salador fucking told you, because Eat someone there sold him out. Yeah, all someone sold him out for talking too loud, waving a fucking eight-inch knife around. And... Yeah, I mean, he wasn't subtle. You know, it wasn't a subtle knife. Yeah. It was not a subtle knife. Not Asa Hader. Uh, it's interesting that we have Jamie in the next chapter, right? Who ends a chapter having a dream. And I want to read you this passage from the Jamie chapter. I was going to present it real anonymously and be like, I'm going to read you this passage. Tell me what chapter it's from. Because mm. you can't. In his dreams, the dead came burning, gowned in swirling green flames. Jamie danced around them with a golden sword, but for every one he struck down, two more arose to take his place. So the next chapter ends with Jamie and the Ares dreams. He's dreaming of Ares, and Davos in the Wildfire, interestingly, is like this world where Ares succeeded, right? The last chapter, we get this recantation of 
Davos drowning in the fire and suffering and trying to just get... Uh, it's horrible. Drowning is awful. I can never read about it. It's horrible. Hope I never drown. That's the one death I, I just really peaceful. don't want to have. The rest of them... I hear once your lungs fill up with water... Die. I hear, yeah, once your lungs fill up with water, your brain goes into a mode that is, like, very zen. I just hope it's, like, the simplest one. I hope it's just, like, in my sleep, loved ones are, like, so sad... By loved ones, I mean, like, you guys are my zombie cats, and that's it. But even in the next Davos chapter that we get through, we get Stannis, who's kind of now described after Ares, right? He's shrunken, he's paranoid, and he has someone whispering in his Mm. ear, Melisandre. The fact that Davos pulls up to the castle after saying, fuck Melisandre, an hour ago, shows that she, just like Varys, has her own little birds, huh? But Ares never had a Davos, interestingly enough. So maybe that's what Stannis is doing, right? What's Ares with a Davos? I guess we're finding out. I think that's such a great question, especially when it comes to the pa- to King's power and what people are willing to do in order to check them, right? Uh, did people... Davos, I think, does, for some reason, really love Stannis. Mm-hmm. And actually, I guess Ares does have Rhaegar too, but I think that's a complex relationship. Anyways, Davos does love Stannis enough to try to stand up to him, right? But I don't think anyone loved Mm. Ares enough to check him. They only feared him, coming Mm. back to that dichotomy of of rulership. I would say that Ares did have a Davos at one point. For just a brief fleeting second, it was Tywin, right? Tywin Mm. was willing to tell him, hey- you're being an idiot. Hey, you can't do that shit, dude. Hey, you gotta knock that off. Uh, until Ares crossed him. Yeah. And Tywin said, mm, 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 fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you. I'm going back to Casterly Rock with all of my gold. So what happens when Stannis fucks Davos over more? Because apparently yeah. this isn't enough. I mean, like, that that is a thing, right? Yeah, obviously they had a falling out, and it was very personal and very ugly in ways that anyone would be like, no, fuck this. And yes. But that's the thing, right? Tywin, I think there's a question for him, as there was for a lot of the people who might profess to love Ares, as besides the fear, do they love Ares or do they love Ares' power? And we see that Stannis is surrounded by people who love his power, but not yeah. protecting that soul, uh, unlike Davos. Yeah. Ah, <sighs> Davos, 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 you had your men. They were ready to take you. You could have gone and swung by home and grabbed your lady and grabbed your kids. I know, it's just like Sansa at the Blackwater, right? Yeah. She wasn't ready. He's not ready. He's got to hurt a little more. That he does. And he's got he's got quite a few things. You know, maybe he ends up being in the right place, right time for people like Edric. Yeah. Hopefully he'll get the chance to save some other kids in A Song of Ice and Fire. And if you want to keep up and find out about that, you will keep tuning in to Girls Gone Canon, which you can find on social media at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N on Twitter. Or you could send us an email and let us know what you think about Davos 2 and A Storm of Swords at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yes, and of course, if you want to be sure that you get our episodes every week, be sure to subscribe to us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, 
Pandora, um, Acast, Overcast, all those things. But, uh, you know, we will, I, I do want to address, we've been getting some complaints lately um, that are out of our hands, and but let us know there are some fixes we can try to work around it of, um, you know, when we put an episode out, it not showing up on certain players. So I, we're sorry if that's happening to you. Yes, we'll see what we can do, but no promises. We're only so powerful as Davos believes us to be. Yes. If you have not checked it out and you got a couple bucks burning a hole in your pocket, head over to patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon where you will get your own private RSS feed of all of our episodes that filter in. If you were in the stranger tier or the $5 tier and above, you will get special episodes for A Song of Ice and Fire every other month and His Dark Materials special episodes every other month as well as other little goodies hidden along the way. Check that out over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And don't forget that Thunder tier patrons, patrons in the $10 tier and above, do have access to our private Discord server where we talk about everything. Literally anything. Everything. Mostly everything. Yeah, I'm getting close to perfecting my biscuits, I think. My buttermilk biscuits with thanks to Dipples and Bits on the Discord. See? The more you learn. Well... Thank you for listening to Davos 2 and A Storm of Swords. We will be back for Davos 3 and Davos 4 after that. And there may even be a special, like very special guest in your future. So sit tight, hang in there. I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been... My voice cracked. And I have been another one of your... And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Wow, you're right. It oh, is good. hard. It was we, your turn doing... to fuck it up this yeah, week. Yeah, I was like, shit, we do this every week at the beginning and end of the episodes. Holy shit. Not so easy, Eliana, is it? No, it's not. Is it? it is not. It's what I thought. <laughs> we'll Come... see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>